Welcome to Talking History, a series of talks from the Farnham U3A World History Group. The views expressed in this talk are representative of the views held at the time of the material being discussed. They do not necessarily represent the views of the speaker, the Farnham U3A World History Group, nor the team at the Mr T Podcast Studio. In this talk about Spanish medieval history, Peter Duffy tells us about the medieval monastery of San Juan de los Reyes in Toledo. The building is hidden away from the usual tourist sites. It is small and beautiful, and played a key role in Spanish history. Its location, design, construction and decoration, along with the inscriptions throughout the building, reveal the preoccupations of its patroness, Queen Isabella of Castile, and of her husband, Ferdinand of Aragon. Someday this whole COVID-19 disaster will be over. We will return to a world that will be another place, strangely the same, but strangely different too. Now, one of the features that will be most changed will be our holiday plans. Climbing onto planes going after sites like Hong Kong and Cambodia, which I did recently, or onto giant cruise ships, as some of our members have done, will probably no longer be feasible. So we will be taking holidays closer to home, and when we can do, going to Spain. And we'll be looking for time there which will be rewarding and interesting. So as well as imagining your cultural visits, as we've got here in Madrid to the Prado, which is the Velázquez Las Meninas, a week ago to the Reina Sofia and see the great Picasso, or we could go to the Thyssen-Bornmitzer and see the Young Manor Landscape by Victoria Capaccio. We will also go down to Atocha Station and catch a train to the medieval capital of Spain, Toledo. And after about 45 minutes arriving there, you'll climb up a steep hill to the town, seeing the immense fortress, the Alcazar. You'll see the great cathedral, the Gothic cathedral with five aisles. It's one of the largest in Europe. But however, I'm going to speak briefly today about a building in Toledo, which is hidden away from the tourist sites. It's small and it's beautiful, and it played a key role in Spanish history. This is the medieval monastery of San Juan de los Reyes. And I hope to explain why and by whom San Juan was built, so that when you visit, as I'm sure you will do, you'll appreciate it the more. Now, before I begin with the description of the building, it'll be necessary to take a small diversion into the history of the Iberian Peninsula, beginning with the fall of the Roman Empire, of course, because that's a very convenient point to start. Now, Iberia was eventually conquered by the Visigoths in the fifth century, though much what I call Romanitas, the buildings, the civic institutions, the language, they all largely remained intact, unlike other areas of the empire, such as Britain. Now, the Visigoths made Toledo their capital, and their provincial structure largely foreshadowed the later kingdoms of Portugal, Navarre, Castile, and Aragon. The Visigoths were defeated by the Muslim invaders in the 8th century. The Muslims overran the whole of Iberia, except for the wet, chilly mountain kingdom of Astorius in the north- northwest corner. I don't think they liked the cold rain. There, inspired by a vision of the Virgin in a cave at Covadonga, 
the Christians began the Reconquista, the reconquest of Iberia. By the early 15th century, this process had largely been achieved and the major Christian kingdoms responsible had appeared. Portugal in the west occupied the Atlantic keyboard, Castile had the centre, and Aragon the east facing the Mediterranean. Only a rump of Muslim rule remained, based in Granada in the south. Uh, the key turning point in Spanish, uh, notice this is the first use of that word, history, was the resolution of the question, firstly, whether Castile would unite with Portugal or Aragon, and secondly, whether the Kingdom of Granada would provide a continued Muslim presence on the Spanish peninsula. At the heart of this resolution lies the Trastamaran family, members of which were the rulers in both Castile and Aragon. So the very reasons for San Juan's existence, its location, design, construction, decoration, plus the inscriptions throughout the building, reveal the preoccupations of its patroness, Queen Isabella of Castile, and her husband, Ferdinand of Aragon, together known as the Reyes, and give us today an insight into the late medieval world in which she lived. Now, why was Toledo chosen as the site to build San Juan? Well, we've touched on it already. Before the Muslim invasion, Toledo had been the capital of Christian Visigothic Spain, Iberia. Its recapture by Christian forces, led by Alfonso VI of Castile in 1085, was a pivotal moment in the reconquest. When entering Toledo for the first time, and after the victory at Toro that confirmed divine approval of their rule, Ferdinand and Isabella intentionally entered the city through the same gate, the Puerta Bizagra, that Alfonso had done. Secondly, Toledo is situated in the centre of the Iberian Peninsula and was a key point in the chain of royal residences linked to royal chapels, which stretched from Las Huelgas in the north, close to Burgos, to Zaragoza in the east, to Avila, Toledo, which we know already, Guadalupe in the south, to Seville. So San Juan consequently had two cloisters, one largely for the friars and one for the royal court. The main cloister has two levels, the upper to provide access to a reserved area in the church for the royals, the lower for the resident friars. As you can imagine, San Juan is a church building, but with a very special main purpose. It can be regarded as a factory for producing masses to be said for the souls of the dead patrons. The late medieval church had developed strongly the concept of purgatory, a place to which the souls of people went after they had died. Rather than there being a single moment of the last judgment, there was a waiting period which could be shortened by the virtues displayed in life or through the virtue of masses said for their souls after death, a form of contract between the living and the dead. Wealthy people provided specific sites, such as San Juan, where this could be done. They left money in their wills to pay for it. Isabella left sufficient money for the saying of 20,000 masses for her soul. Now, religion played a fundamental role in Isabella's life, and the Franciscans played a significant part in her spiritual formation. In the late 15th century, there was a notable change in religious behavior, marked by the rise of the mendicant orders, such as the Franciscans. This was a movement that changed the emphasis in religious experience, rejecting scholastic intellectualism in favor of faith, 
and a direct and personal experience of God. It embraced Mariology, that is the, the cult of the Virgin Mary, and the concept of the Immaculate Conception. It was attractive to lay people, and especially to women. It placed an emphasis on works as a means of salvation, works that could be the reform of monasteries or of the secular clergy, the conversion of the Jews, the introduction of the Inquisition, or the funding by the nobility of the work of the mendicant orders in the form of individually financed monasteries, chapels, hospitals, colleges. There was a consequent renaissance of religious building in the late 15th century, and we can see that all over Western Europe. An outstanding example of such a building can be seen in Burgos, in the cathedral, the mausoleum chapel of the Velasco family, the Capilla del Condestable. The absolutely ornate decoration and the incredible architectural structural forms. Isabella had a particular fondness for the Franciscans and installed them at San Juan. When she died, she was first buried wearing a Franciscan robe in the Franciscan monastery that she had founded in the grounds of the Alhambra in Granada. Today it's a Parador, a luxury hotel, and I would recommend you try to stay there when you next go to Granada. The desire to express thanks to God for benefits received and anticipated by creating works for his service was a further reason for the building of San Juan. Now, in the late medieval world, the justification for the exercise of power came through membership of a particular bloodline that had been selected and sanctified by God. The ruler stood at the apex of a hierarchically structured society. He was appointed by God and responsible solely to him. Isabel was thus proclaimed Reina y Señora Naturale, the right-born queen in an inscription inside the church of San Juan. At her accession, her right was proclaimed throughout Castile by heralds, whose statues feature on the outside of the apse of the church. By this proclamation, she trumped her cousin Ferdinand of Aragon, who through his membership of the Trastamara line had probably as good a claim as she had. To understand more fully how San Juan de los Reyes, St. John of the Monarchs, illustrates this concept of blood right, it will be helpful to start by focusing on the Reyes Isabella of Castile and Ferdinand of Aragon, who were the patrons of the building, and especially on Isabella, whose special project it was. Their marriage in 1469 began the process of joining the two kingdoms and creating what we now call Spain. Isabella's claim to the throne was based on her stepniece, Ioana's illegitimacy. Ioana's mother was notoriously profligate with her favours. I think I've phrased that delicately. There was, thus to say, at least an uncertainty in Isabella's claim to the throne. Isabella was conscious of this uncertainty, yet believed tenaciously in her right of her claim. It may have been her stepbrother, King Enrique, who helped to awake this sense of lineage in her. In 1452, he had updated the series of genealogical statues in the Sala de los Reyes, in the Alcazar in Segovia, the sort of fairy tale castle in Spain. This updating showed the kings and queens of Leon and Castile since the time of that Palaio, who in northern Spain first turned on and defeated the the invading Moors, beginning the Reconquista. Uh, the Alcazar was Isabella's residence prior to her accession. Now, the dedication to San Juan, St. John, also has links to Isabella's own genealogy, and thus again her claim of her right to rule. 
San Juan was both her and Ferdinand's patron saint, although his was a Baptist, hers the evangelist. Juan was the name of both their fathers and of their son. However, it is the eagles in the transept. There are five eagles holding shields surmounted by crowns. It is these eagles who hold the coat, royal coat of arms who carry the greatest weight of meaning. The eagle, as a symbol of, carries royal and Roman imperial residences and can also represent victory. It is also the symbol of St. John the Evangelist himself. Thus, the eagle represents the word, the weapon by which the sin of the world, the serpent, is conquered. Now, the eagle, bearing her coat of arms, is a constant in Isabelline imagery. For example, in Isabella's breviary, now in the British Library, and that's a stunning example, and you can actually see that when you go to the British Library. Now, what was always uncertain was whether God had selected a particular member of the bloodline for his favour. Proof of his approval came from success, and particularly success in battle, as occurred in English history, for William the Conqueror at Hastings, for Henry V at Agincourt, and for Henry VII at Bosworth Field. After an initial setback, it was Ferdinand's military victory in 1476 over the Portuguese king at Toro that proved decisive. The Portuguese king had initially hoped to gain Isabella and thus Castile for Portugal, either by his son marrying her or by marrying her himself. Failing those marriages, he turned to Isabella's stepsister, Juana, and supported her claim instead. Similarly, the rare success in defeating the Moors and in capturing Granada was yet another proof of God's favour and confirmed their right to rule. The Grenadian pomegranate in Isabella's coat of arms also confirms that the breviary was made after 1492 when Granada was captured. Now, going back to the heralds, a key demonstration to all were the heralds on the exterior of the apse proclaiming through the arms emblazoned on their tabards Isabella's and Ferdinand's rights to the thrones of Leon, Castile, Aragon, and as they were put in place after the conquest of 1492 and bear the Grenadian pomegranate, Granada. The building that Isabella originally intended to celebrate the victory at Toro, confirming the legitimacy of her claim to the throne of Castile, stemming from her royal lineage, was thus adapted later to celebrate and pro proclaim also the victory at Granada which confirmed the divine favour. Now, nations often come into existence but by defining themselves against the other, that which they are not. The Protestant British, for example, defined themselves against the Catholic, Spanish and French. It was during this period that we begin to see the various kingdom of Castile, Aragon, Leon, Navarre coming together into a nation we now call Spain. But then a self-conscious reconstruction of the Roman and Visigothic Hispania, defining themselves against the other of the Moors and the Jews, the enemy without and the enemies within. Obnoxious as the whole concept is to modernize to the medieval world inspired by Orthodox Catholicism, the expulsion of the Jews was one of the crowning moments of Isabella's reign, and entirely one that she believed to be in accordance with God's will. Better to proclaim the legitimacy of their rule, the Reyes Church is situated in a key point within the city of Toledo. To anyone coming to the city from the south, across the San Martin Bridge, the church dominated the approach. Similarly, the apse with its heralds dominated the way into the city from the Cambron Gate. 
the site of San Juan effectively dominated the Jewish quarter. And by the late 14th century, this had an estimated population of four to 5,000 and filled the southwestern area between the cathedral and the river Tegus. Richly decorated in the Muslim influence style, El Transito was a highly visible manifestation of the Jewish community. Isabella's consideration of the Jews had as one of its features a desire to see them convert. Indeed, when Abraham Senior, a leading member of the Jewish community, and one who aided her at her accession did so, she stood as his godparent. One of the reasons for the required separation of Jewish from Christian communities was the fear that such converts would, through continuing proximity to their previous co-religionists, relapse. And indeed, a similar fear lay behind the establishment of the Inquisition. And you will remember Monty Python, you must never forget the Spanish Inquisition. Isabella could see her church in the hands of the preaching order of the Franciscans as a base for obtaining new converts and as a direct riposte to the El Transito synagogue, 10 minutes walk away, in the heart of the Jewish enclave. And as part of the obligations imposed on them, Jews were required to attend a special sermon annually given by the Franciscans in the church. It should now be remembered that the Reyes lived in a feudal society and not in the pluralistic and capitalist world that we have today. The basic premise of a feudal society is that it is one organized for war. Land, which is the basis of the feudal economy, was granted to magnates who committed in return to supply military support to the ruler when called upon to do so. Now, potentially hugely self-destructive when the position of the ruler was in dispute, as occurred in the early years of the Reyes' rule. When that question was resolved at Toro and an external enemy, the Moors, identified, the system was capable of providing the Reyes with the resources to capture Granada and eventually to expel its Moorish rulers from Spain. This victory is reflected in much of the decoration of the church, for example, the chains of Christian prisoners released from Granada and hung up in memory of the Reyes. It can also be seen inside the church, an inscription all the way round, down the sides of the apse and around behind the altar. And it reads in Latin, the most Christian and enlightened princes, Ferdinand and Isabella, of immortal memory, built this temple. Monarchs of the Spains, of Sicily and of Jerusalem, they overcame and expelled all the infidels of profane sects and the Jews and their adherents with their triumphant victory at Granada. The second potential inner enemy were the conversos, the Jews and the Moors, who remained behind and who had supposedly converted to the Catholic faith, but who secretly continued to practice their original beliefs. The Reyes, and it's not certain which one, introduced the Inquisition into their kingdoms to root out such heresy. Parallel with the establishment of a universal royal role came the concept of a standard universal faith to which all had to conform. Again, it was the responsibility of the ruler to enforce this, and the Reyes' actions are recorded in this inscription in San Juan. This upper and lower cloister, the church and all the monastery were built by the order of our lords and most Catholic and most excellent monarchs, Lord Ferdinand and Lady Isabella, King and Queen of Castile and of Leon, of Aragon and of Jerusalem. From its first foundation, it was built to the honor and glory of the Lord of heaven and of his most blessed mother. 
and of the blessed Saint John the Evangelist and the sacred Saint Francis, their devoted intercessors. Whilst this house was being built, they gained the kingdom of Granada, destroyed the heresy, cast out all the infidels, gained the kingdoms of Spain and the Indias, reformed the churches and the orders of France and monks in their kingdoms that needed reformation. In Spain, as elsewhere, at the apex of the feudal structure, were the monarchs, whose whole position and regality was expressed through the magnificence of their possessions, their clothes, their jewellery, their paintings, and for our purpose, their buildings. An outstanding example in that fabulous meeting between Henry VIII and Francis I at the Field of the Cloth of Gold. Architectural examples are Henry VI's chapel in Cambridge, and especially in Henry VII's mausoleum at Westminster Abbey. It's echoing and built just 25 years after San Juan. Those areas of the greatest sacral and regal significance are the ones most magnificently decorated, especially the east end of the Henry VII chapel, the decoration of the statues all the way around the mausoleum area. Now, whilst the Reyes sought to throw out the baby of the Jewish and Muslim belief, much of the cultural bathwater remained. Forms used by Muslim designers and architects to express magnificence, which was integral to Reyes' concept of their regality, were continued and can be seen throughout San Juan. The word mudahar is used to describe the style that developed from this, a style combining Muslim and Gothic motifs. He describes a Muslim-based architectural style that continued to be used by Muslim builders and designers who stayed in the Christian areas and worked there after the reconquest. In the mudahar aesthetic, decoration is applied to a surface rather than being related to a structure. Such decoration is built up by the repetition of details. It is focused on entry and exit points, doorways, windows, vaults and arches. These uh, decorations are then contrasted with the plain space that they occupy. For obvious reasons, it's known as Isabelline, and especially important in this regard were the Muslim palaces taken over during the Reconquista of Muslim-controlled Spain. Their impact culminated in the Alcazar built in Seville by Mudahar craftsmen for Pedro I in the 1360s. It looks a totally Muslim building, but actually it's been built by Muslim workers for a Christian king, as I say, Pedro I in 1360 in Seville. It's just opposite the cathedral. You have this what appears to be a totally Muslim building, but it's not. It's built for a Christian king. Spain, as did England in the later Middle Ages, traded its wool for the luxury and art objects of Northern Europe. The majority of Isabella's art objects were in fact produced in Northern Europe. The breviary was produced in Burgundy. If they were produced in Spain, they were frequently produced by Northern Europeans. It's not therefore surprising that Isabella, when looking for artists and architects for her work, chose men trained in the Northern European style, men who were to hand in the cathedral workshops of Burgos and Toledo. Designers from Northern Europe were brought to Spain for the three great cathedral projects of the 15th century, Seville, Toledo, Burgos. The workshops that these designers founded continued and other European traditions, but these were melded with the Mudaha vernacular, Muslim influence design in the later generations. This is an indication of the international nature of the medieval aristocratic world. 
we tend to think of the Italian Renaissance as the key artistic and architectural movement of this period. However, it was possibly in the wealthy world of Burgundy and its powerful dukes that the greatest flowering of late medieval culture occurred. Much of this was sadly destroyed in the Protestant iconoclasm and the wars that followed. It is largely in Spain, not directly affected by these disturbances, that it is possible in buildings such as San Juan de los Reyes and its contemporaries, and in the medieval art collections of the Prado, that we can begin to catch a glimpse of the local effect of this rich international culture. At the west end of San Juan, across the first bay, a balcony space for the Reyes was constructed. On the front of the balcony, facing into the church, are Ferdinand and Isabella symbols, the yoke and the bunch of arrows. The yoke is for Ferdinand and the fletchers, the arrows for Isabella. They cross initialed and they're used repeatedly throughout the church and in all the Reyes buildings. In this exchange, Isabella's IJ for Ferdinand's F, the Reyes demonstrated their sharing of their roles and their motto in action, tanto monta, as much one as the other. An important element in medieval thinking was that the idea of consonance, the idea that if something physically resembled another, it shared its qualities. Throughout the Catholic medieval world, we can see the basic structure of the Holy Sepulchre repeated in seemingly different but basically similar forms in churches, and in especially in mausolea, with a dome or octagonal vault over the east end with a nave attached. And this form can be seen in the plan and form of San Juan, the transept area, which is the key to the whole building. The most holy site was directly beneath the vault in front of the altar at the east end, so it was at San Juan. Therefore, the crossing, designed originally to hold the tombs of the Reyes, is the site of the most complex and most magnificent work. The octagonal lantern above the crossing drops through eight capitals with angels holding halves onto the four crossing corner pillars through squinches that are decorated with blind flamboyant tracery. Above the pulpit, there are a group of sculpted heads looking out and all caught in the act of speaking. The purpose of these pulpits in San Juan is obviously for preaching and for reading the gospel. Their positioning would put the preachers on the same level as the royal group in their balcony and are thus able to address them directly. Now, the end walls of the north and south transept had been given a key role, already discussed, in the decoration of the crossing. Above the five eagles holding the crowned royal coats of arms, below the arms are Ferdinand's and Isabella's yoke and arrows, and the cockle shell, the symbol of Spain's patron saint. Santiago. I would like at this stage of the presentation to focus on one particular fact about Isabella that San Juan de los Reyes repeatedly states through its inscriptions, its imagery and its symbol, its very existence. It is one that we can actually be blind to as it appears to be so obvious. It is that the church was built by a woman and that woman was a ruling queen in her own right. Now this is almost unique in medieval history. We have to remember that medieval society was largely patriarchal, one where a politically active woman was a rarity. Women of rank were usually considered as pawns to be used in the diplomatic game. In fact, of the daughters of the Reyes, one was married to the heir to the throne of Portugal, and two others were used through marriage to bolster alliances with Burgundy and with England against France. 
Now, as an aside, it is interesting to know that Isabella's granddaughter, Mary Tudor, similarly seized and held a throne in her own right against male opposition. With Isabella, it was different. She chose Ferdinand and ensured with great difficulty that he accepted the fact that in her realms, she was a ruler just as much as he was in his. But they hammered out a highly effective partnership, which was both unique and which is repeatedly stressed in the inscriptions in their motto, tanto monta, as much one as the other. May I hope that when you do go to Toledo, you'll also spend a night in the Panadol, the state-owned luxury hotel, and in the evening you will sit on the terrace, looking out across the Tagus River to the city, sipping your glass of fino, and reflecting on how one small building can tell you so much about a country and its history. Thank you very much. This podcast has been produced by the Mr. T Podcast Studio in association with the Farnham U3A World History Group. Thank you very much for listening to this talk.